AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Uh, Mike, we have a story with Excel Web Query and some malware. Yeah, so, uh, you know, malicious actors are always kind of changing up uh, their tactics and their techniques and, you know, trying to find new ways to get uh, victims to click on something, right, and to get past filters and whatnot. And lately we've seen uh, some threat actors um, using Excel Web Query files, which have an IQY extension, um, as part of mal-spam campaigns. Typically, most users would associate Excel files with just spreadsheets, you know, usually benign. Uh, but these IQY files apparently have the uh, capacity to embed references to outside files, and that includes things like scripts. So attackers are taking advantage of this functionality, and they're using this to pull down um, code of their own choosing from other uh, assets under their control on the Internet. There's been a number of um, different malware campaigns using this um, in these past couple of months. Uh, the Necker's botnet uh, has been seen delivering the flawed Amy Trojan um, using this particular um, technique. Uh, in addition, there's a threat actor group uh, relatively recently named uh, called Dark Hydrus uh, that has been seen uh, using uh, this same file type, uh, but they've actually been sort of obfuscating it by uh, including it as part of a raw um, compressed file uh, in an attachment. And then lastly, the Merap downloader uh, was seen to be using the same kind of file extension in August uh, to target financial institutions, sometimes embedding uh, that IQY file actually into a PDF document. In general, uh, if you get an attachment from someone you're not expecting, it's usually a good idea not to open it immediately uh, and send it off to the security professionals to review it. So, Mike, you were saying that these files have sort of embedded uh, references to external files inside of them. That's where they're, I guess, Excel web files. So you can make a reference to an external data source and include it in your Excel calculations is my assumption. All right. Yeah. So from there, how does it actually run what it pulls down? Because whatever it pulls down has to be some sort of executable code or a script or something, right? The URL reaches out and pulls down, you know, whatever embedded content that is uh, directed to, which could be a script file, JavaScript, BB script, script um, whatever the case might be, um, which would then be executed in the, cust uh, in the end user's um, security context uh, and take whatever action that that script uh, takes. Huh. So then it would just execute the, the executable command? Well, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking the difference between like a full-on piece of malware being pulled down and then Excel having the rights to, to run that as opposed to some sort of scripting language, which I feel is more likely. I mean, I've right. seen Excel files with, with VBScript built in, and PowerShell wouldn't be too much of a stretch of the imagination, but pulling down like the actual malware, I think would be a problem. Yeah. This is probably like a first stage, like I think this IQY file would be the first stage, the second stage would be whatever gets pulled down by that script and executed, probably. Yeah, um, usually to avoid detection, there's multiple stages for those downloaders, yeah? Yeah. All Anything right. from Microsoft on this? Do they sort of feel like this is as designed, or is it something that they you know, have any plans to address? I mean, I could imagine them saying, well, this is an ability to run external commands and you have to be careful what you query, but I don't know, unless there's some way for them to change how it works, right? Well, I haven't seen any statements from Microsoft, and this is, you know, actual feature functionality that's inside of the product, so it's not like it's a vulnerability. It's more like an abusive functionality. 
Um, and, you know, for organizations that um, have workflow that takes advantage of this, they're probably more at risk than others because this is not the same thing as a, as a macro virus or something like that. Um, and if you're used to clicking through uh, the pop-up window that says, hey, you know, this spreadsheet is trying to download content from an external source, um, do you want to allow that? Uh, if you're used to clicking through that as part of your normal day-to-day -day workflow, those are probably the people who are going to be at most heightened risk for this um, type of an attack campaign. You really should know when you should be getting an IQY file. You should know when you're getting an executable. So unless you're used to handling IQY files, I would sort of assume that this is a file type that the average user is not responsible for. So Joe, did you hear about um, the Feedify compromise? I did. I heard about it and I'm going to hopefully tell you guys about it a little bit. So Feedify is a push notification service. So to kind of explain what Feedify does, it's not something that you see. It's, it's embedded in web pages when a user is prompted to uh, ask if they want notifications when a website changes. So websites sign up for Feedify's service. They get Feedify's JavaScript libraries and uh, the users are prompted when they get to their website, hey, do you want to be notified when this website changes or when this website has new information? You know, as we know, with JavaScript comes malicious code, um, and this time it's the Magikart uh, group, mm -hmm. the same group that um, was recently behind the breaches with Ticketmaster and British Airways. The research from the article, uh, actually a researcher named Placebo, I don't know if we've seen anything from him before, but yeah. he's the one who did the investigation and found that one specific file had this Magikarp malware on it. Um, he found it on 250, between 250 and 300 sites. Um, Feedify says they have, you know, tens of thousands of customers, but this particular file was only used and only found by the researcher in about 300 sites so that's kind of good news but mm. I think it's some version of their service that was being used not it's not the same on all the sites uh, this is kind of a, a regular problem with the internet that you will be relying on somebody else's code to run things that you're you're providing to your own customers and it seems like Feedify has had a small problem with keeping that malicious code out of their software. Here's something really interesting. He notified them, they fixed it. He found it again, he fi they fixed it, mm -hmm. he found it again. Dang. So they, Magikarp group keeps just corrupting this same file and they fix it and it's like back and forth and as of the publishing of the story, I didn't check this morning, but it was still uh, had the malicious code in it. Uh, so it sounds so like Feedify have a much bigger problem than a single modified file. It sounds like they've got a compromise yeah. that has to get rooted out. Yeah, I think you're right. And and they're sort of in this back and forth with the Magikarp group because they know how to change it back every time they fix it. So, hmm. you know, it's kind of one of those things where the actual sites aren't vulnerable, but the service that they use is. You know, it is interesting you mentioned that they've they're only seeing it on a subset of the Feedify customers. And I guess maybe you've, there is a difference between different tiers of service and the different files that are offered. Exactly. Um, that's really interesting. And also, especially in light of what you just said, where it sounds like they've got some sort of access to the company. Um, yeah, I mean, they choose to only modify one as opposed to, well, I mean, why not all of them? Or unless one is more vulnerable than the others or has this certain vulnerability that allows them to get into that file. I mean, that file doesn't exist in the other 
uh, types of the service. So I'm not sure we'd have to probably get a hold of some of the code and take a look. You know, it's kind of one of those things where the actual sites aren't vulnerable, but the service that they use is. This is one of the things you see more and more of, where you have an attacker that's looking to compromise an entity like this that gives them downstream, you know, you know, force multiplier for their compromise, right? They compromise Feedify, they compromise, you know, some significant portion of its client base, you know, kind of as a bonus. And you've seen that with other breaches where they've gone after things like browser plugins, for example. Right. Yeah, that's true. You can sort of get, it's almost like a, a wormable, <laughs> you get this service and it's going to worm your malware for you because it is behind the scenes in all these different sites. Sure. So, so. I guess the, the big question is what can admins do about this? I mean, if you're, if you're a user of Feedify, it's definitely something to be aware of and maybe consider removing it until the, the situation's been Yeah, involved. I think that would be the best case is just yeah. disable Feedify and you won't get new customers taking push notifications until this is addressed. Yeah. I think the lesson here for most people is if you're an admin at least. Uh, keep an eye on the sorts of code that you're embedding in your site. Um, maybe ev eventually you should do an audit to see which one of these, this code you really still need. And just be aware of the risks involved with using somebody else's third-party code in your site. So Mike, it sounds like there's an update on the Fragment Smack vulnerability. What can you tell us? Yeah, so this one was really interesting, and, and, you know, to begin with, you know, I love a vulnerability with a good name, you know, and, and Fragment Smack is, is right up there in my book. Um, so earlier this summer, um, kind of in the June-July time frame in, in the early August, uh, there was a uh, denial-of-service vulnerability identified in Linux kernel versions 4.9 and up. Uh, it seems to be a, a condition that can be triggered by overlapping fragments of significant size in TCP connections, which is sort of a, I guess, an elegant way of inducing a denial of service against a target that doesn't involve sending tons and tons of traffic. In this case, given the um, wide distribution uh, of the Linux kernel, you know, in embedded devices and, you know, other types of um, appliances that it was already figured that this was going to have some downstream impact, right? That it wasn't just going to be something that you could go, you know, patch your red hat, hat and Ubuntu boxes and call it a day, that there were going to be, you know, some other updates. Lo and behold, here comes Microsoft's past Tuesday in September. So Microsoft kind of gave themselves a little extra time to address it um, because it turns out that Fragments Smack did affect Linux and Windows. Um, which was intriguing uh, because they didn't really uh, come out and make any comment about that you know, earlier um, here the last month or two when kind of the rest of the industry was doing that. Hmm. Yeah, you'd wonder why they would withhold, withhold that information. Either they, they realized they were vulnerable and decided to keep it quiet so they had a little more time to patch, yeah. or they totally missed the mark on that one. I don't know which one it could be. And Microsoft made no mention of the delay. They just announced it like it was new. Yeah, it was just it was just an advisory that came out saying, "Hey, yeah, by the way, you know, this impacted us. You know, we have some FAQs on the site, um, and they had some recommendations there um, as, as part of that, um, which really um, on the uh, Linux kernel side, you know, prior to um, there being you know updates uh, for the um, issue itself." You know, there were some recommendations about, you know, kind of reducing the size of the, you know, you know, packet fragment handling queues and things like that. Um, Microsoft's advisory actually, you know, kind of went a step further than that 
and, and recommended, you know, dropping uh, out of order uh, packet fragments, which, you know, that could cause some uh, impact to legitimate traffic. So um, certainly you'd want to be very cautious before, you know, taking that kind of activity or take, taking that kind of action. Yeah, because dropping traffic, if you're trying to reassemble or keep anything for compliance or, you know, audit purposes, dropping stuff that comes in, you know, with NTP, stuff can come in in different times. So. Yeah, but I think what we're talking about here, we're talking about reassembling traffic in order. We're talking about TCP traffic. Yeah. And, I mean, fragmentation and, and other things that are available to the TCP stack, you can get away with disabling a lot of it. You take a performance hit, but it doesn't prevent you. And eventually, because it's TCP, all the data should get there eventually. Right. Now, the upside is that from a denial of service perspective, as soon as the packets stop coming to the machine, uh, it'll work through that queue and become, you know, resume normal operations. So it doesn't damage anything. It doesn't damage any data. You know, it's not, you know, kind of doing anything, you know, destructive in that nature. It's simply, you know, making the system unavailable, which is probably why uh, it didn't get um, kind of more, you know, coverage than it did. Okay. Well, that's good because I know of some other TCP uh, stack uh, attacks. I think it was uh, Slow Loris, which is kind of maybe dating myself. But stuff that messes with like different window sizes and, and timeouts can definitely put the thing in a state where it's not like, you know, it immediately comes back when it's done. It's like, well, you've got to let all these things time out eventually. Uh, and then you'll maybe get back to, to normal. Right. All right. Well, cool. This is an interesting story. Thanks. If you're involved with patching at all, maybe this is the time to go and look at your infrastructure and, and make the choice. Should I go ahead and do this? As a security professional, I would say yes. But I understand that there are mitigating factors to that. Let's talk about the internet weather. The top 10 most probed ports for this week. Um, the first six places have not changed yeah. from last week, which is kind of astounding. So we've got uh, 23 TCP in first place. That's Telnet, and that's still going strong. 445 TCP is SMB. 22 TCP is SSH. 1433 Microsoft SQL Server. 81 TCP is a web port, but it is a vulnerability associated with webcams that is being scanned heavily by the Satori botnet. Uh, 3389 is remote desktop protocol. Now to the ones that have changed. In seventh place, we have 5555 TCP, which is the Android remote debug bridge. Uh, 443 TCP is general uh, HTTPS, followed by 80 TCP is general HTTP. And the, both of those could be any number of different web servers that are being scanned. And rounding out the bottom at uh, number 10 is 21 TCP, and that's FTP. Uh, taking a look at the most sources probing, um, not a whole lot of movement here either. A bunch of things have moved up and down one spot, but not a whole lot of moving and shaking going on. Uh, 445 TCP we've talked about. I'm just going to skip down to the ones that are a little bit different for this list. Yeah. Uh, 8080 TCP is another web port. Could be a number of different things. Could be uh, IoT devices. Could be like a web proxy. Uh, again, we don't have a really good number on, on what exactly is being scanned there. Uh, 5431, I believe, is related to a Broadcom bug that we've talked about on the show before. Uh, 5555, we talked about. Um, 80YCMP is echo request. That's really just the number of pings that are being sent, so a whole lot of hosts are sending pings at this time. Uh, 81 TCP, I think we talked about. 8081 is another one of those web type ports. Again, I believe that is related to a specific vulnerability. Um, and 6881 is, again, BitTorrent, and usually that is a result of just large amounts of BitTorrent traffic, single host to a large number of other hosts. 
looks a lot like scanning, but it's more likely peer-to-peer. -peer. It seems like the major ports that are being scanned did not switch, and I would chalk that up to the, the size of the botnets that are scanning these particular ports being so overwhelmingly large that there's no chance for another uh, port to come in unless one of those players decides to change its focus. You know, I think it is kind of, it's of note that these botnets are getting so big that anything that they do, it can't be, can't be changed by some small new modification. So uh, scan SIPs on port 445, which is SMB, still slowly creeping up. Uh, still reminiscent of WannaCry? Still the same kind of traffic as WannaCry. Still mostly the same pattern that we saw. Okay. Uh, I think there are other folks out there using the same exploits, but I would, I would guess that WannaCry is still one of the significant ones since it was a worm, since it did infect a large number of hosts. There was a really interesting article um, about the fact that these vulnerabilities are still active. And the, I remember the author's point was that there are a significant number of Windows hosts that just don't get patches. Either they're, they're old hosts, you know, an older version of Windows that's out of support, or there are pirate versions of Windows that mm. will never get patches. Mm. And people are still using those because, hey, they work. They're free. So, yeah. Kind of an interesting look at that ecosystem that allows these vulnerabilities to still have a whole lot of pull. Uh, port 81 TCP, I think back in the February timeframe, there was a new vulnerability discovered for these um, wireless IP cameras yeah. that are being attached to the internet. And I think that's what we see here mostly. Satori is still one of the big heavyweights in terms of scanning on the internet. So the vulnerabilities that Satori scans for tend to show up uh, in our top 10. And we've seen some spikes. This is a 90-day view. It's not necessarily the highest it's ever been, but still considerable. Uh, 23 TCP, still going strong. Not a whole lot of change here. Uh, flows per hour are somewhere in the range of 900 million. Um, up and Still down. primarily Even, IoT devices, you think? I would, I would hazard a guess, yeah. yeah. I mean, most of these devices have the vulnerabilities. They have a telnet and no one bothered to tell anybody. Right. They've got a vulnerable, or they've got a, a default password set. Uh, and from there, they just go and find more devices just like them. Cool. Uh, port 8081 is another web one. Uh, I tend to think it's Apache Tomcat. Uh, again, we don't have the traffic to look at to say exactly what's being scanned for here. Um, but the Apache Tomcat admin port is 8081. I've seen a significant number of hosts that leave the default password on for that. I mean, honestly, Tomcat, from what I understand, you don't actually have to have it exposed, the admin interface, to run anything using Tomcat. But mm. some people may have misconfigured it and left it open and exposed to the Internet. So there was a pretty big uptick in scanning in the last week or so. Went from, I want to say, 2,000 up to the uh, 8,000. Uh, scan sources per hour range. So someone's more interested in this one again. Okay. Uh, 5555 I thought was kind of neat. I had to put in a 250 day view. And it's a weird <laughs> number, but I didn't want to, because 365 showed a long range over here on okay. the left where it was dead quiet. And then someone became interested in it here around you know mid-February. We had a huge spike in the middle of, of uh, July for it. And it's gone down since then, but in the last couple of days, you can see at the far right, we've had another uptick in it. Um, and this is ADB. This is a, a debug bridge that's um, exposed by Android devices in a certain configuration. Right. Uh, a lot of like home media player devices will have this. And I think there's a, a common hack for Amazon uh, Fire devices that okay. exposes this. Mm. Like it's some sort of rooting or something like that. You can get extra software running on right, it. Right, right. Uh, but people will accidentally leave that exposed. And I actually read an article that there is a, a minor worm called FBot that's taking advantage of these exposed Android debug bridges oh. uh, to 
install crypto mining software. Mm. So I can't say for certain if any one of these spikes is related directly to FBOT, but it's, you know, it's one more family that's taking advantage of this vulnerability. And then this one I thought was kind of interesting. It didn't show up in our top tens on either one, but we had some alerts saying that this has gone way above its baseline. Okay. Uh, and this is port 10250 TCP. Uh, it's Kubernetes. This is another one of those systems that people will, will deploy stuff with on the inside of a network. And the assumption for those who designed it was like, well, you know, it'll be on the inside of a network. So we don't need to put any sort of authentication into yeah. our, our endpoints. Uh, this HTTP endpoint apparently has full unauthenticated access mm. to the system. Um, there's a, an article on Medium that somebody wrote about using it um, to, to install backdoors on the thing. And the top source of scanning is a, a virtual private s uh, server company in the US. It's another situation where this is software that was never intended to be connected directly to the internet. Someone built it without security in mind because their threat model said no one will ever do this. And naturally, people did it. We've seen a spike here. I think that's the end of August where we hit uh, 100 million scan flows per hour. So not insignificant, but the number of, of sources is, is fairly low. And that's it. Cool. Thanks, Matt. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.